This is Dr. Daniel Van Ingen. We had a terrific interview uh, here at the Parenting Doctors with Dr. Dallas Carey, but it was an extensive interview. So this is part one of our interview with nutritional expert and clinical psychologist, Dr. Dallas Carey. Hello, welcome to the Dr. Van Ingen Clinical Psychology and Parenting Show, our parenting podcast, our Friday podcast that we're doing here this weekend, and I'm so excited to introduce Dr. Dallas Carey. She's a nutritional expert and clinical psychologist in the Sarasota area, and Dr. Carey, um, she has a bachelor's, a master's. Her doctorate uh, was achieved at Nova Southeastern University. Uh, She's an expert in nutrition and in the treatment of mood and anxiety problems, she has a private practice. She can be reached at uh, 352-615-5440. Um, she provides phone consultations. Um, she is a whole person treatment provider. And you can find out more information at, at dallascarry.com. And uh, she is a wonderful colleague. And I am so happy to introduce... Dr. Dallas Carey, thank you for joining us here tonight. Thank you so much. Thank you for having me on. So uh, it is a joy, and uh, it is so exciting to have you, and I know you're going to offer so much value to our listeners and followers uh, uh, at Parenting Doctors. Um, And this is a very exciting parenting podcast uh, because we are going to interview you. We know you have a lot of areas. Uh, that uh, of expertise, but one area that we want to focus in on is nutrition, and this is something that is that all families think about. Um, even low-income families think about it when they have twenty bucks and they decide to use it at KFC instead of veggies. And so, I'm going to ask you a whole bunch of questions because we know that you have so much to offer here and. Uh, it's such a fascinating topic. I know lots of people, um, lots of parents have opinions and, and there's so much cutting edge information out there. And, and so let me just start out with some fundamental questions for you, Dr. Carey, foundational questions, I should say. How has nutrition changed over the last 30 years? I think that by and large, um, nutrition has I think that we're living in a time where we have more and more healthful foods available to us. Um, it, wa- it truly wasn't like that 20 to 30 years ago. So it's sort of twofold. It's, you know, on the one hand, um, food is more and more carbohydrate, sugar, and chemical loaded and, you know, chock full of these things that we don't want. But there's also so much education happening in our society about the importance of, you know, food as medicine and food for mental health and food for mood, food for cognition, food for um, just generally living a really good life and preventing disease. And so I think that more and more we actually have better options available to us and it's just a matter of disseminating that information. Um, I would say that for a long time, 
the quality of the soil in the United States has just deteriorated. There's a long history behind that. But a key concept to take away might be that when the soil is more and more devoid and not as not as high quality, that produces less nutritious foods. And then ultimately, we wind up lacking nutrition. So by and large today, it is harder for us, um, people our age, you know, our uh, our kids' age, people in their 30s, their 40s, to eat as well as, for example, our grandparents, people in their 80s or their 90s. And we have to try harder. We have to put in a lot more effort now than people did historically because generally speaking in a broad sweeping way quality of nutrition has gone down again the flip side of that is people know about it and people are working hard to change it so that sounds great dr curry but when i'm hungry and right now i'm speaking this week in texas i'm in Corpus Christi tomorrow, and then I speak in San Antonio and Austin. And one thing I've noticed when I travel uh, for my speaking engagements or when I just travel for personal reasons, uh, it is hard to eat healthy during travel. Um, so let me, let me throw some things out there. I have a friend named Andrew. He likes to eat at Chipotle. Okay. Would you say Chipotle is healthy? option so instead of looking at you know when you're traveling instead of looking at it so dichotomously and so black and white I would take the approach what can I choose that will be the healthier best option for me and this will help to keep it from becoming a stressful thing you know you're in a pinch you don't have that much time if your options are McDonald's Burger King or Chipotle I would say go for the Chipotle um I'm not, I can't remember, so so a guiding, one guiding thought there is if you're going to go to a fast food restaurant, a tip would be choose one that has healthful, good quality meats, and if they have an organic option, that would be a way to go to. You want to you try to stay away from fast foods that have, for example, soybean oil, because that has a lot of Roundup in it, that is full of chemicals, that that winds up impacting your gut health, your gut lining, that affects your overall health and all these other systems. So, you know, the danger in eating the fast foods are compromising your gut health, getting a spike of sugar that sort of wreaks havoc in its own way, and generally just not feeling good for whatever you're going to be doing while you're traveling. Um, Another idea, too, is bringing snacks with you, trying to pack things from home that you can take or just pick up when you're at a store, whether it's some sort of like healthy nut bar or um, fruits, vegetables. If your hotel has, um, if your hotel has a refrigerator, you could keep snacks in your refrigerator. So you have to be creative. Okay. So you have to sort of work at it now. Yeah. So let me throw out some foods that, and, and these are still some of the softball questions I wanted to throw, you at, throw at you just in terms of foundational questions that people want to know, and then um, we can go further. But let me just throw out some things to you. You say yes or no. Banana cream pie. <laughs> no. 
A Big Mac at McDonald's. Absolutely not. A Whopper with cheese at Burger King. Just say no. A Blizzard at Dairy Queen. Definitely a no-go. A Gatorade bar from Publix. Don't do it. Almond milk with a scoop of chocolate protein powder with a half of an avocado and seven pieces of ice. Absolutely. (laughs) (laughs) That's what you want to go for. Carrots and broccoli. Yes. But when, when you hear... See, everyone knows this, right, Dr. Carrie? I mean, everyone knows yeah. uh, carrots and broccoli, avocado, and almond milk, and um, but and they know that that's healthy, but uh, and they know that French silk pie or pumpkin pie or a Whopper or uh, a Blizzard is unhealthy. Why is it why is it that even though we know this in our prefrontal cortex, you know what's going on as far as I mean how do we make that the the less healthy decision? Is that what you're asking? Yeah. I think it's a matter of making changes is is hard, right? And so it's a matter of kind of knowing having what what is in your your um healthy eating toolbox. I think having good options to go to in lieu of those other things and then just practicing them one day at a time makes it to where it literally becomes effortless to choose it. It becomes where you don't even have to think about it. And so, you know, if I think people educating themselves on what can I grab in a pinch? What can I keep in my refrigerator? If I'm on the go a lot, right? Or i I'm always personally like eating out of a bag, as I like to say. What can I just throw together the night before and have on hand? In that way, you're not tempted to go and just stop at McDonald's and get whatever the frosty or whatever it is that they serve there. I, I think I a frosty is at Wendy's. <laughs> <laughs> so sometimes also putting in a little bit of extra effort you know, you, people will reap the benefit of that. So for example, maybe you have a really long day the the next day, perhaps it means the night before making a healthy lentil vegetable based pasta, tossing it with some olive oil and butter, salt and pepper. Maybe it means cooking up even just a frozen veggie. That whole process takes about 10, 15 minutes. That will save you the next day. You can take it to go. You can eat it when you need to eat it. And then it saves you time, right? It also saves you money. I believe, like, to eat at McDonald's, I think it, t- I think it costs about 5 to $7. So for a family of five to eat out, um, I can remember doing that as a kid with my family. That's, what, $35 for a family of five. It, t- it costs, on average, at home for healthful foods between $1.50 and 3 So even when you're at the high end of that for th- at $3 per person, you're still only spending $15 for that meal. So I've been taking my kids. The four of us go to Carabas. And sometimes we get the... If you've been there, you get the loaves of bright white bread you can dip uh-huh. and have olive oil. And I oh, think yeah, that's so good. Our family record is like five loaves of bread. 
There's, there's a lady that work, looks out for us, and she'll just give us unlimited bread. That bread is so good. But you know what's is happening it healthy? there? What's happening there is that that bread, you're literally becoming, you're, we're addicted to it. We're addicted to sugar. Our taste buds and our brains, they're seeking out that white bread because it's an, it almost it almost immediately turns to sugar. So... Some, so a concept that I like and that I talk to people about when I work with them on nutrition and on making healthy choices, I tell them a Snickers bar above the head and a piece of bread above the head, those are so different. Those look extremely different. But below the neck, they're exactly the same. So that white that white bread is going to spike your blood sugar. It's also, it's all, it's also, also has no nutrition in it. So you're essentially filling up on empty carbohydrates, lots of carbs and sugar, while you're not getting the B vitamins that, for example, used to exist in bread when it used to be made the right way. So that's why we have also this epidemic now of, you know, kids and and adults who are overweight, whether it's, I think it's 30% of the population now, American population is overweight, 50%, no, 30 per 60, I'm sorry, it's 60% I think is overweight, 30% is obese. Um, wow. But that, yeah, and it's, those numbers are just predicted to get worse and worse, but at the same time, people are showing up with deficiencies in minerals and vitamins because they're eating empty calories. So it, you know, it grows your waistline, it grows your, uh, the fat sort of in your organs, which threatens things like heart disease and high blood pressure and um, diabetes, metabolic syndrome, all of these things, while not, while not giving you the, the micronutrients and the high quality protein and fat that will actually lead to longevity and feeling so much better, actually having quality of life. So, um, Does so, that answer your question? Yeah, yeah let, me, <laughs> let me go back to, um, I still have some sort of fundamental questions. One is, uh, how important is organic? I notice that when I'm shopping for my kids, um, organic, like, so the, um, my kids are, are starting to learn that organic is better than non-organic. Um, okay. How important is organic for an apple versus organic for an avocado? Like when I have an avocado, I'm peeling uh-huh. the avocado. Right. Is, is, so. an avo- is it important to have an organic avocado? But first... First, my first question is, how important is organic food for our listeners okay. out there that might let's start at the basics? How important is organic? And then number two, I is like, it important to have organic for all foods? Or like an example, like I could see an apple versus an avocado. Can you speak so, to this? Absolutely. So, Dr. Finnegan, your question is a really good one because – you know, there's there's all this buzz around organics, and some people actually make fun of it. Some people don't think it's important at all, that it's just about making more money. I would say that organic is extremely important. And to jump ahead for just a second, I would say that there's something called the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15, and I can quickly go over those with you if you'd like. But here's why organic is... wild. Dirty Dozen... <laughs> 
clean 15. There's the dirty dozen, there's the clean 15. So we'll break it down and give the listeners some objective guidelines to go by the next time they buy veggies and fruit. So the importance of organic is this. There's nothing actually added or special about it. It's simply unmanipulated, unadulterated food in its natural state as it was intended for our consumption. So pesticides, you know, pesticides on threaten the health of the food because it adds chemicals to it. And those chemicals are toxic. And when we ingest that, we experience that toxicity. That toxicity, because it's chemically based, our biological beings don't know how to break it down and eliminate it. Or we, we try to do a good job, but if we, do, if we eat too much of that, our bodies can't keep up and it can clog our system. So organic food, think about it like this. It, it literally just gives you a cleaner, more simple food, free of being genetically modified, which bugs, you know, even birds won't touch genetically modified foods. It's well known that they'll fly over crops that are genetically modified. They're just, they're changed. They're not best for our biology. So having said that, why don't we talk about the Dirty Dozen and the Clean 15? Okay. Okay, so the Dirty Dozen, apples, celery, tomatoes, cucumbers, grapes, nectarines, peaches, potatoes, spinach, strawberries, blueberries, and bell peppers. So the key here is that all of these fruits and vegetables have very thin skin, right? So then the, the pesticides can easily get into that skin and sort of permeate the fruit or the vegetable. Whereas the Clean 15, onions, avocados, sweet corn, pineapple, mango, sweet peas, eggplant, cauliflower, asparagus, kiwi, cabbage, watermelon, grapefruit, sweet potatoes, and cantaloupe. Those are not quite as important to eat organic. Wow, this is fascinating information because (laughs) I've got, just to speak plainly, I've got some kids who now are into the organic thing. And and I don't want to spend the extra two bucks for this one. So this is really good to know. The Dirty Dozen versus the Clean 15. And is the main thing thin skin versus uh, the chemicals aren't going to get into this food like a watermelon? Yeah, that's, that's one of the main distinctions. I think... I think that there's actually a, a few foods on the list of the Clean 15 that don't fit that. Like, I want to say onions, right? But because that, well, maybe with onions, and I don't know, but it makes sense to me this way. Maybe onions are in the Clean 15 because they have multiple layers on them. I'm not sure. I, I'm pretty sure it has to do, though, with the thickness of the skin and the permeability of the pesticides and the toxins getting into the fruit or the veggie. Can you tell me again the dirty dozen? Can you go over that quick again? The dirty dozen. Here we go. Apples, celery, tomatoes, cucumbers, grapes, nectarines, peaches, potatoes, spinach, strawberries, blueberries, and bell peppers. Wow. And each one of these does have a pretty thin skin. Okay, because that came up recently when I was trying to buy non-organic bell peppers at Sweet mm-hmm. Bell Peppers at Costco. And my daughter was <laughs> like, no, it has to be an organic bell pepper, Dad. 
<laughs> Your daughter knew. She she knew that it was the dirty dozen. She <laughs> didn't even know she knew it. Yeah. Okay, so that's really helpful to know. Yeah. And you know, here's another way of, another way to kind of think about it. You're you're spending the money to get the good food. So why potentially compromise the nutrition and the healthfulness of it when you could spend a little bit more and just eliminate that, you know, that possibility altogether. Okay. You're already making the good decision. So what are these pesticides on fruit and foods? So pesticides, let's just, let's define that first. So a pesticide is a substance that is used to destroy insects or other organisms harmful to cultivated plants or to animals. The problem specifically is that these chemicals make their way into our bodies when we eat the foods. Because they're toxic chemicals, our bodies do not know how to get rid of them. They can cause the body systems to go haywire. They can be hard to eliminate, and over time, they diminish the integrity of our gut wall. Another way that they hurt the gut wall is that they kill the good bacteria. So it's important to understand that a compromised gut, I keep going back to the idea of the gut because we know more and more now about how important our gut health is for our overall health, even from, you know, heart health to uh, mood disorders and even dementia. So let's talk about, let's talk about the gut for a second. It's important to understand that a compromised gut increases inflammation throughout the body, including the brain. Too often we separate the brain and the body, but just as inflammation, just as inflammation can strike a knee joint or the heart, it can also strike the brain. Chronic inflammation in the brain leads to increased mental health problems like anxiety and depression, problems with attention, focus, and concentration. Okay. So when you're saying gut health, uh-huh. when you say a spike of gut health, and you said earlier soybean oil, uh, or you were saying that... Um, Yes, that was right. Soy, soybean oil contains a lot of Roundup. It's, it's actually a chemical called glyphosate. Have you heard of that before? You said glyphosate? Glyphosate. Glyphosate is Roundup. It's a toxic herbicide used by Monsanto. Is that what we use to kill weeds? That is correct. <laughs> <laughs> That's what it's for. And so, you know, actually, this is this is sort of an interesting fact. In our standard American diet, Americans get, of course, unless you're mindful about about all of these things we're talking about, most Americans get 10% of their calories from refined soybean oil. This is an, an abundant source of omega-6 fatty acids. And so we, you know, we don't want that much omega-6 in our diet because it leads to a lot of inflammation. And soybean oil is also packed full of this glyphosate, this Roundup. Um, we want to try to reduce our Roundup consumption, right? Like, wouldn't all, wouldn't all of us like to have less toxic Roundup? circulating our bodies yeah i woke up this morning (laughs) thinking i need to have less roundup yeah i did too (laughs) (laughs) okay so let me so when when we so when we talk about how families can eat healthy 
I think a lot of families want to know. A lot of parents uh, want to know, like, what is healthy nutrition for families? Like, it would be um, one of the things that I train on is how to, how foods can really impact the level of anxiety um, for, for, uh, for everybody. But, but let's say with a child, like uh, a girl named Claire, she has a dance recital at three o'clock. And, um, if she eats certain foods, it can, um, help stabilize her, help prevent her from panicking. It can help keep her cortisol levels low. Like if she has, um, eats salmon with omega-3, uh, at lunch, um, that can help, uh, keep her mood low, keep the performance anxiety from not getting too high. And then if she eats a magnesium-rich food like apricots, you know, right before the recital, and then if she uh, eats an orange right after the recital, an orange can help bring her cortisols back to um, homeostasis or stable levels. But we also know the kids are picky. Kids aren't going to want to eat maybe salmon and avocado for lunch or, or greens, uh, an apricot right before the recital. I mean, maybe they'll eat some oranges. My kids eat or eating oranges right now. Right. But what if they don't even eat oranges? I mean, sometimes it's, it's really hard to find the right foods because they're so picky. So how do you, how do you sort of balance healthy nutrition mm-hmm. and figure out what they like? We have so many options. Of course, of course, a kid might not always want spinach salad with salmon for dinner, right? But it doesn't necessarily have to be that. I think that is being too boxed in. And with food, especially in the day and age that we live in, we have so many options. So I, my approach might be to go shopping with your picky eater and have them help plan what they want to eat help with a few guiding principles you can create just so many different types of dishes and so maybe even more important than naming specifically different foods is the idea what should I be asking what should I be thinking before I decide what I eat or what my child eats so I might say to that you would want to say you would want to ask the question how does this have added sugar to it does it have you know added chemicals two main things if it has added if it has added sugar to it don't buy it if it has like more than 8 or 9 grams of sugar per serving i'd probably even say 6 or 7 don't buy it if it has something on it that you cannot pronounce ingredient labels I teach people all the time, you want to go shopping, you want to buy something healthy, two things, added sugar and ingredient labels. So the general rule of thumb that I really like, if it has something that a chemical, a word that you cannot pronounce, most likely that is a, that's a chemical, don't buy it. And so if you can use that sort of as a filter and as a lens, and you can teach your kids to think about that too, 
that becomes such a great way to help pick out foods. Chocolate, you know, chocolate, that can be healthy. Um, just don't buy it with a lot of the soy lecithin. Don't buy it with added chemicals. You can get a really good, um, there's so many different ice creams now. There's so many different types of nut bars. There's almond butter. There's walnut butter. There's, I could think of so many different snacks that kids might like too. You know, like almonds or mixed nuts or something with dried Maybe dried cranberries? I don't know. Would kids like that? <laughs> um, uh, let, me ask, let me ask you. I, I know families are going to want to know, okay, what do I feed the kids? Uh-huh. So let me go through a series of breakfast items. And this, I may sound maybe traditional, um, but let me start out with cereal. Because when I was a kid growing up, and I know you talked about how nutrition has changed over the last many decades. But when I was a kid growing up, we always had cereal, and we always Uh had sugar cereal. So let me throw out some cereals, and I'm just going to say these off the top of my head. Um, Well, first, Honey Nut Cheerios. Yes or no? That's a no-go. Okay. How about uh, chocolate-covered Cheerios? (laughs) Absolutely not. All right. How about (laughs) Cocoa Krispies? Okay, how about uh, a Captain Crunch, if that still exists? Don't buy your kids Captain Crunch. All right, what, what about <laughs> Apple? What's that Apple O's or Apple? Oh, is that the green box? Yeah, what about Wheaties? <laughs> what about Wheaties? You know, it's like Wheaties sounds good, just the word, Wheaties, right? Wheat. But and no you, I- Kids never liked Wheaties. They liked the, the box with the Michael Jordan on it. I don't know if athletes are still on the cover of Wheaties. They like it with the powdered sugar on it. They, that's right. So, <laughs> here, so, so here's the thing, right? Like those are all, those cereals, those fit into what we call the, the SAD, the Standard American Diet. Okay. And so the Standard American Diet, it's a modern, it's a modern dietary pattern that is generally characterized by, and everything you just said fits this bill, okay? High intake of red meat, processed meat, prepackaged food, for lots of fried foods, high fat, um, cereal is on there. So, so the main issue, I think, you know, everything you just mentioned, it's the high fructose corn syrup, which just wreaks havoc on the body. It's, it's so disruptive. So what could you do instead? You could feed your kids something that is high in healthy fat and protein and generally a little bit lower in carbohydrate. Okay, so let me continue with the breakfast. What about eggs? Okay. Yes. Okay. More eggs. Okay, what about pancakes? <laughs> Let's just go back to eggs for one second. Okay. <laughs> eggs are the perfect brain food. Okay. Eggs will help your kids focus, and they have all the B vitamins, which we lose those whenever we get really stressed. B vitamins are kind of the first to go. So yes to eggs. Okay. Side note. Okay. What about toast? I would say that it depends. Okay. What about jam on the toast? I, I would say that if it's a jam with no added sugar and it's just fruit like fruit concentrate, then that would be a great option, but you'd want to limit it to probably no more than one or two tablespoons. What about almond butter on the toast? Perfect food. 
but a lot of kids don't like almond butter. What well, about you know you could here's here's an idea. Okay. You could so you know a lot of times like you you have them do it gradually. So if they don't like almond butter, you could well you could add a little bit of stevia to it to sweeten it. You could add a little bit of vanilla extract. Slowly over time, you could remove those things, or you could even do a mixture of peanut butter and almond butter, and then over time, just switch it up to all almond butter. We will be back with part two of our interview with Dr. Carey.